pomp and circumstance in Brazil this week as millions turn out to see Latin America's Pope, Pope Francis, on his return to the region. But his visit is not enough to halt anti-corruption protesters from returning to the streets. We'll focus for the next 30 minutes on the Pope's visit and the issues surrounding his trip. This is Latin Pulse, a weekly analysis of news and public affairs in Latin America. Brought to you in cooperation with American University's School of Communication in Washington, D.C. and Link TV. And now here's host, Rick Rockwell. Bienvenidos and welcome to Latin Pulse. As we go online this week, Pope Francis is wrapping up his trip to Brazil. We'll keep most of our attention there. But first, Kurt Devine has details on the Pope's visit and the rest of the news from around Latin America. A rapturous welcome for Pope Francis in Brazil. Hundreds of thousands of pilgrims greeted the Pope upon his arrival in Rio de Janeiro, beginning his first international trip as pontiff. The trip is organized around the Roman Catholic World Youth Day Festival. While Pope Francis did not address Brazil's protests in his opening remarks, police fired tear gas at demonstrators who gathered outside the palace where he spoke. Some protested the $52 million the Brazilian government spent on his visit. The pontiff has addressed social issues throughout the week, such as the plans of many Latin American leaders to legalize drugs. Pope Francis argues that education works as a better method for decreasing widespread addiction. The scourge of drug trafficking that favors violence and sows the seeds of suffering and death requires of society as a whole an act of courage. A reduction in the spread and influence of drug addiction will not be achieved by a liberalization of drug use. Brazil has the largest Catholic population in the world, with an estimated 123 million members. But, with those numbers steadily declining, Pope Francis has repeatedly called Brazilian youth to evangelize. The presidents of Venezuela and Colombia shook hands this week, reflecting a mutual agreement to improve governmental relations. Colombia's Juan Manuel Santos and Venezuela's Nicolas Maduro met in a Venezuelan border city. The presidents discussed energy, security, and bilateral trade. Relations between the two leaders diminished in May when President Santos agreed to meet with Venezuelan opposition leader Enrique Capriles. President Maduro describes his sentiments. We turned the page on an issue that temporarily halted relations between us and the Colombian government and the Colombian people. Maduro vowed in a meeting that Venezuela would support Colombia in peace talks with the FARC rebel group. Chile's Conservative Party appointed the nation's labor minister, Evelyn Matei, to run for president in November. Matei replaces Pablo Languera, the former candidate who resigned from the campaign last week, saying he suffers from clinical depression. Matei has served as labor minister since 2011 and is known for her outspoken charisma. For Latin Pulse, I'm Kurt Devine. Thanks, Kurt. As we just heard, millions poured into the streets in Brazil to see the Pope this week as he makes a call to help the poor through working for social justice and rejecting temptation. Worldly possessions, money, and power can offer a moment of intoxication, the illusion of being happy, but in the end, they dominate us and lead us to ask for more each time. Never 
being satisfied. Helping us analyze the trip of Pope Francis is Father Thomas Rees, senior analyst for the National Catholic Reporter and the author of Inside the Vatican. He joined us via Skype from California. Hundreds of thousands of people have come out to see him uh, in the rain, the pouring down rain. Uh, It's just been a joyful uh, event. Uh, He's had a chance to talk about uh, the gospel message of Jesus's love and compassion and concern about the poor. Uh, so it's, it's been uh, really moving. Poverty and social justice seem to be the themes. All of the homilies have tended to revolve around those particular topics. Are, are, are there some things that subtleties maybe that we're, we're missing? Oh, I think this is uh, a Pope, uh, uh, you know, of the poor, for the poor, uh, a a pope for the slums, uh, a pope for young people. Uh, this guy really is, his heart is with the poor and with uh, uh, people in the favelas of Brazil and, and Latin America. Uh, this is the kind of people that he, he uh, visited and uh, uh, pastored to when he was archbishop in Buenos Aires. And uh, these are the people that he really loves and and is concerned about. These are the people that he feels are forgotten by society. Uh, The, you know, young people who have such high unemployment rates, uh, these poor people who are left out of political calculations because they don't have money and power and influence. He wants to be a voice for them. He wants to hold leaders' feet to the fire and say, you know, we need social justice. I mean, he's calling, you know, practically for a revolution, uh, a, you know, a change in attitude of people uh, towards the poor, you know, to put away the, the culture of corruption and selfishness and to uh, uh, reach out and concern uh, for people on the margins of society. Since you mentioned the word revolution, I hear him also talking about a revolution within the church, the institution of the church, in, in saying the church should not be so isolated. Am I reading that correctly? Absolutely. Uh, he has said this a number of times. He says it's time for, you know, the, the clergy and people to get out of the sanctuary, get out of the sacristy, out of the church, into the streets, uh, and to take risks you know, in preaching the gospel and doing things and reaching out to people, you know, bringing the, the message of Jesus, of, of his love and compassion uh, to people, to give them hope uh, and to inspire them to love their neighbor. Uh, this is the, the kind of message that he thinks needs to happen. And, you know, he realizes that the church has become very lazy and, in fact, boring and uh, the message of Jesus is exciting, is, uh, is not boring, uh, and that Jesus is a very attractive personality uh, that uh, we want to bring to people. We've talked on this program before about the debates within the church and church doctrine regarding liberation theology. This particular pope, when he was in Buenos Aires, was not exactly an exemplar for that particular philosophy, but in hearing us talk about poverty and social justice, aren't those the fundamentals of, of liberation theology? And is this now coming back 
into the fore in the church? Absolutely. Uh, you know, uh, Pope Francis doesn't use the word liberation theology, but he certainly talks the talk. I mean, he is clearly against Marxism. He's clearly against any kind of violent revolution, but he is on the side of the poor. Uh, he calls for solidarity with uh, poor people, with working people. He's very upset uh, about the impact of globalization on the poor in the, in the global south. So uh, he is, uh, you know, as one theologian said, he, he doesn't uh, use the word uh, liberation theology, but he certainly uh, uh, speaks the language. Some of our listeners, maybe non-Catholics, have wondered why all of this media attention on this particular pope and if this program and other media are, are blowing this up a bit uh, with a bit of hyperbole, all of this contact and attention. The criticism has been that if the church and this pope are really concerned about poverty, uh, one of our listeners wrote and said, then they should be talking about birth control and a, a more modern view about birth control. Well, I think that uh, what the the uh, the media is recognizing is that people see this pope as someone who uh, really loves uh, people that you know responds to people that listens to people uh, that enjoys interacting with people. I mean, the, the world is falling in love with this guy. Uh, he has such a winning personality. And he's emphasizing things that uh, people feel are important. You know, the plight of the poor, uh, the concern for the environment, uh, the concern for, for you know, dear people of different religious backgrounds uh, uh, coming together to work together for the common good. I mean, it was interesting, uh, you know, some of the reporters... Uh, reported that, you know, going through the favelas, they, uh, they went past, a, you know, the largest Pentecostal church there. And people were, you know, hanging out of the windows, cheering the Pope and saying, he's our Pope too. Uh, so, you know, he has had uh, uh, become a very attractive uh, messenger for Jesus, not just for Catholics, uh, but I think for all people. Do we think that this Pope will handle those tough questions of birth control, gay rights, for the more recognition of civil unions or any of those sorts of things. We've seen protesters asking for him to address these these particular issues of gay rights during his trip. Well, I think that, uh, you know, this pope, his agenda, his priorities are concerned for the poor. Uh He's not, you know, there are a lot of uh, conservative Catholics and others in the United States who just want him to preach about abortion and gay marriage and these things. Uh, you know, he's got, uh, uh, you know, I don't think he's going to change the church's teachings on those things. But he has, he wants to make it clear that the message of the gospel is comprehensive. It's, it's concerned about life. Uh, and, you know, not just the, the, the life in the womb, but the life of the baby after it's born and the life of the mother. And, you know, that means being concerned about food stamps, being concerned about child care, being concerned that, you know, that the father of the child has a job. 
these are all things that he wants to talk about, too. And, you know, so much of the media coverage in the past has been, you know, narrowly focused that whenever uh, any media coverage of the church uh, happened, it was all on these other issues. He wants to make clear that uh, concern for the poor, concern for the environment, concern for peace are also, you know, high priorities in the church's agenda. What else should we be paying attention to that has come out of this particular trip? Well, I think that uh, uh, his uh, concern that uh, for both, you know, reforming the church, getting it, you know, out of the sanctuary, into the streets, you know, dealing with people is a big part of his priority that, uh, you know, he recognizes that the church needs to be reinvigorated uh, with the gospel message of Jesus, you know, that faith means recognizing the love that God has for us. Hope means, you know, not giving up when we're struggling for justice. And love means having compassion for all people, uh, you know, even those who are drug addicts and and prisoners, uh, and uh, the poor, uh, the young, and the elderly, that all of this is part of the church's concern. All of this is, you know, is, is part of his message that Christ calls us to be loving, compassionate uh, uh, people uh, who reach out to those who are in need. Thank you, Father Thomas Reese senior analyst for the National Catholic Reporter and author of Inside the Vatican, joining us today via Skype from California. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Rick. Coming up, more views from an American cleric on the Brazilian journey of Pope Francis. Stay with us. A man is found guilty of trafficking Brazilian women to the UK to make them work as prostitutes. The head of an international trafficking network is jailed in Romania, and three people are sent to prison in America for operating a Mexican baby smuggling ring. Human traffickers trick and deceive their victims, but by joining forces we can bring these criminals to justice. Support the United Nations Global Initiative to Fight Human Trafficking, ungift.org. Welcome back to Latin Pulse. Monsignor Kevin Irwin of Catholic University also spoke to us about the Pope's trip. He joined us via long-distance line from Virginia. Well, it's obviously a homecoming for him in many ways, and I would say that uh, at this point in any papacy, uh, when you look at what the Pope is doing, I would say that style is substance, and this man has given us an awful lot of things to look at. He carried his own bag onto the, onto the plane. He did work overnight getting to, to Rio. Uh, he certainly loved being with the crowds, although I think it's a security nightmare from what I saw the other day. But that's the same thing in the Vatican at this point. But he loves being with his people. And certainly he was very emotional yesterday at, a, at the shrine and of Our Lady, uh, really a home to him because that's where a lot of important work was done by the bishops of Latin America in 2007. So it's a homecoming. He's a pastoral guy. He's also very clear. He's going to put aside some of the trappings of a formal papacy and become really a pastor and I think that's what we see already in, in the papacy, and we see certainly 
uh, already in Rio. You make note that he teared up a bit at, at the mass that he said at the patron saint of, of Brazil. Uh, why do you think he was so emotional? Well, you know, he, he went to Rome in February to cast a vote for the Pope, and he wound up staying and didn't expect that. And he came home, and for the first time he's back on native soil, and he's back with people that he knows and loves. He knows the challenges. He knows the in many ways, the poverty, he knows the extreme riches, the, the disparity, all of that has got to get to you in terms of realizing that you're the man in white and what you say matters, but also you're the man in white and you're coming home and this is really your flock. And so I, I'm delighted that he would have that feeling because, frankly, he had a round-trip ticket and had to tear it up. And he's a man who's, who um, I was in Rome, happened to be in Rome teaching at the time, and uh, the very first day he came out of his apartment <clears throat> at the Santa Marta Hotel there in the Vatican, there was a Swiss guard, and, and the Pope said, what are you doing here? He said, well, my job is to, is to guard you night and day. And he said, were you here all night? He said, yes, I was. So the Pope went back in and made a cup of coffee for him and gave him a morning bun, and then he went to Mass. So that's what this man's going to do, and uh, he wants to be among the people, and he's just genuinely a natively generous, kind man. As you pointed out, he tends to lead by example. He, he's not living in the usual papal quarters in Rome. Um, he's wearing much more simple garments, many other examples of this. His homily yesterday revolved around the issue of materialism, and that certainly strikes a particular chord, uh, not just globally, but also in Brazil. It does, and, and uh, he's, he's, on, uh, he's on delicate uh, territory there when he addresses that sort of thing, but this man is not going to shrink from naming what the issues are, and uh, he, will, he will never get stuck in being unclear, and as you and I read that homily, he was pretty clear, and he wanted to be at the same time hopeful and at the same time encouraging, but this is a man who knows what it means to give communion out to the people in the, in the community who haven't eaten yet that day because of abject poverty, he's not going to shy away from the fact that the, 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 the structures in which people find themselves today have to get looked at in terms of rich and poor and, and the divide of countries. We have seen him uh, in the favelas. We have seen him visiting with AIDS patients in Brazil. Uh, he talked a lot in that homily about money and power, and we, we've also seen not the same sorts of riots and demonstrations in Rio, but a few uh, when he first arrived. And and you mentioned the delicacy of, of how he addresses these issues, because frankly, people in Brazil are tired of corruption. Yeah, and, and, and people are tired of corruption in, in, in Italy as well. And, and he's aware of that on all sides. And, and he's, he's going to speak out on that and make some decisions about that. And Quite frankly, uh, it's embarrassing to, to say this, but also the, the corruption of the Vatican Bank. He's looked at that, and he's going to make some changes there with two commissions already working for him. And who knows what he's going to do about that, but it's certainly not going to be business as usual, and we have to make sure that we look at the big picture. And I think that uh, uh, his, his challenge was, was, was firm, and yet it was, was well-phrased. And frankly, uh, the amount of money that is being spent uh, getting ready for the World Cup next year could look very, very difficult for people who, you know, don't know, know where their next meal is. So that's that's really what he's looking at. And <clears throat> and with all due respect to structures of police and of government, 
they have to get looked at in terms of how they are they get rid of corruption and how they don't glean that money for themselves off the top. The $52 million that were used to prepare for the Pope's trip, I think, has also been somewhat of an issue, although those fingers seem to be pointed away from the church. But Monsignor, I, w- I wonder how you deal with this, too, this issue of corruption and, and how um, people come to you and, and must discuss this, that how you can represent for the church that it seems to have gone a bit off the rails um, with, with this type of corruption in Rome. Well, you know, I, I, I have to apologize and say, unless we get rid of it, we can't be credible, and therefore, the same thing with clergy sex abuse, we have to make sure this is behind us. Otherwise, I say, blow the candles out, we have no credibility, lock the door. I, you know, I, I want to be as, as critical and as forthright uh, about that as, as one needs to be, because systems cannot just generate themselves. And now, I also, as you, as you do, I live in Washington, D.C., and I see that happen on Capitol Hill. And so, you know, you have a certain amount of, of, of uh, as one of my friends I knew in the parish when I lived on Capitol Hill at St. Joseph's, uh, he said to me one day, he worked in the, in the Senate for years in the staff, and he said, after six months, they all change. And so, you know, you would say, well, why must the system be such that it changes everyone's ideals, and, and why must that happen? Well, in the Church, at least, we have to make sure that that really does not happen. And I think that's one of the reasons the Cardinals went for someone outside the Vatican bureaucracy to become the Pope. And as you point out, those commissions uh, certainly have brought in a lot of um, people who would be considered outsiders, that, who are not regulars to Rome in the Curia. And that, and that does, I think that causes the people who work in Rome and the Curia a certain amount of at least puzzlement, if not more, because they're the ones who are doing this. And, and I think the Pope's marching orders from the other cardinals was clean this up and clean this up well. Now, I do read in, in the media that he finds it a difficult task because there are so many tentacles and who's related to whom and all of that. But He's a very astute man, and, and what he's doing in the summer is staying in Rome, watching the comings and goings of the staff. He's not going away on vacation for three months to the, to the Alban Hills, uh, you know, air conditioning, air conditioning, he said, so I'll stay here. The whole process is he's listening and he's consulting. So he's, he's going to get this in, in, I would be very optimistic about his getting it in check. I think it simply overwhelmed Benedict XVI. We have seen this particular trip make lots of people beyond Catholics, regular practicing Catholics, come back and notice the Pope. I've had several conversations with disaffected Catholics about this new Pope and about this particular trip. And the one thing that they always bring up is they wonder if he, if he really is going to make a difference. Is he going to address some things? For instance, the first thing that almost always comes up is, is there some way that he can modernize the role of women in the Church? Sure, and, and uh, you know, that's exactly right. Now, the question is, uh, you, one example is, is personnel, and when he does personnel decisions, we'll track those, and we'll see, you know, where women get placed in the Vatican, and will they be in more advanced or more responsible positions? And you look at the fact that in one of the commissions, you have Mary Ann Glendon from Harvard, who was no shrinking violet, and she's involved in this commission about the Vatican Bank. So you say to yourself, I think you, you, you'll see that in personnel changes. And frankly, uh, it will simply acknowledge the fact that any parish priest I know, and I help out at the parish on the weekends, most of the ministry in the parishes are done by women, so they need to be respected and revered. 
and, and raised up as those who really carry the day-to-day ministry of any parish. So I think in that sense, uh, we'll, we'll, see those, we'll see it in the personnel decisions. What else about this trip to Brazil should we take away as important? He's dealing with a number of publics, plural, and not just youth. And, and the youth thing is very important for our future. At the very same time, he's dealt with, you know, uh, go into Aparecida and go back to where the Bishop's Conference of Latin America in 2007 wrote a very, very important document on evangelization in our contemporary world. And I really have read that and say to myself, I have seen nothing as good comparable across the board. So questions of globalization and interculturation and all those things that that are just in that document. And the other thing is, I think, that it's a, it's a question of, of uh, his style will influence bishops throughout the whole world, and, and they're, they are all Pope watchers. That's their job. And they'll get messages from his style as well as from his homilies that I think will filter down to the rest of the Church in a way that may not be possible by way of the written word only. Thank you, Monsignor Kevin Irwin of Catholic University, joining us today on Latin Pulse. Delighted. Thank you. And now, Latin American Perspectives with Peter Hakem of the Inter-American Dialogue. Pope Francis announced his plans to visit Brazil in late March. President Dilma Rousseff then enjoyed an approval rating of 70%, the highest of any Latin American leader. She was considered a virtual shoo-in for re-election next year. When Pope Francis arrived in Rio de Janeiro this week, he was greeted by a president whose public approval had fallen to less than 40%. Two months of street demonstrations involving more than a million people across Brazil have prompted Brazilians to reassess their government's performance. The massive protests brought to light the deep resentment of corrupt politicians and exposed the countrywide anger at the deplorable state of public services and the persistent squandering of taxpayers' money. President Rousseff's political setbacks are also the result of her failure to respond decisively to the demonstrations. When she finally spoke out, she seemed to think it was sufficient simply to embrace the demands of the protesters. The president called for new spending for nearly every item on the demonstrators' agenda, but never said what expenditures would be curbed, what trade-offs made, and who would pay the price. Left unanswered was how can government waste be trimmed and taxes lowered when vast new investments are needed to improve Brazil's schools, health facilities, roads, and police. Brazilians instinctively recognized that President Rousseff was offering a populist message and not providing real leadership. The president has not been alone in her shortcomings. No one else has offered better proposals. But it is President Dilma Rousseff who holds the spotlight, and she still has the opportunity to take charge. The protests have been a disaster for her so far but they provide an extraordinary opportunity for Brazil's first woman president to preside over a historic period of political and economic change. 
the protesters have legitimized an agenda of national transformation and shown that it commands deep support. Now it is up to the president to shape the alternatives, propose priorities, and make choices. She has to display the capacity to develop a fresh course for Brazil, responding to the demands and aspirations of ordinary Brazilians. The protests have ended Dilma Rousseff's long run as a popular president, but they may have given her the opportunity to become a great president, maybe in time for her state visit to Washington in October. Peter Hakem's opinions are his own and not the official opinions of this program. If you'd like to react to his commentary or any part of this program, you may write us. You may leave us a message online via SoundCloud, or you may write us via email. You can find us at latinpulse at gmx.com. That's latinpulse, all one word, at gmx.com. Latin Pulse is available in various locations on the web, including iTunes, Facebook, Hente Flow, and Musica Q. To see the Latin Pulse archives of video programs on Latin America, you can check out Link TV's website, www.linktv, all one word, .org, and then forward slash Latin Pulse, also all one word. That's www.linktv.org, forward slash Latin Pulse. Thanks for joining us this week on Latin Pulse for our entire team, associate producer Kurt Devine, and announcer Victor Kilo. I'm Rick Rockwell. Escucho nosotros vez. Gracias por su tiempo. Latin Pulse is sponsored by the Center for Latin American and Latino Studies at American University. The program is produced at the university's School of Communication with the support of Link TV. Theme music provided by Link TV with additional music from Canary Productions and Bath Time Music Publishing. This program is copyright 2013, Las Rocas Productions.